This is the Jocko Underground Podcast. It's number 26. You got Echo Charles here for his commentary. (laughs) (laughs) And me, Jocko Willink. Uh, I come across things from time to time, and I know for a little bit while, remember we dipped into some psychological experiments and whatnot. A little bit. It's good to understand. Show you some stuff about human nature. There's usually a bit more, more to the story than you would initially think. There was one that kind of caught my eye. I was doing some reading the other day, and this one was called The Monster Study. That's what it's called now. It wasn't called that at the time. Mm. A person named Wendell Johnson, I guess a psychologist named Wendell Johnson, 1939, Davenport, Iowa, conduct this experiment. The experiment was actually ran by a graduate student. Her name was Mary Tudor. They took 22 kids that had some kind of speech impediment uh, actually specific stutter it took them from an orphanage and they tried to see if they could help stuttering kids by giving them positive feedback how bad it hurt them if they gave them negative feedback and if they took normal kids what it would do to normal kids if they told them they had a speech impediment and look, look I'm not going to detail the the whole experiment but basically you had two groups and then there was two subgroups in those groups. So you had group 1A and group B. Group 1A and group 1B, these were kids that actually stuttered. And in group 1A, they told the kids like, hey, um, don't worry, you'll outgrow the stuttering. You'll be able to speak even much better than you're speaking now. Don't worry about what other people say. It's gonna, you'll grow out of it, no big deal. That's how they treated those kids. Um, then in group B, they, were, they would tell the kids that stuttered it's gonna get worse, this kind of stuff. Just mm. evil, I mean, right? Mm. Kind of just evil. Like even when you hear it now, that's why they call it the monster study. Yeah. So that's where the kids that actually stuttered. Then they had some kids that had normal speech. And one group of the kids that had normal speech, they said, you know, hey, you're really eloquent, you're very articulate, just that kind of stuff. Just treated them, gave them praise. The other group, they told them that, and I have a little quote here, they, had, they, they told them that the staff has come to the conclusion that you have a great deal of trouble with your speech. You have many of the symptoms of a child who's beginning to stutter. You must try to stop yourself immediately. Use your willpower. Do anything to keep from stuttering. Don't ever speak unless you can do it right. You see how, from name, and they'd give the name of a kid that had really bad stuttering. He started the same way as you. And then they told the staff that worked with these kids, just the regular staff that worked with them, that they had, that they were going to stutter, that they were developing a stutter. And so the teachers actually believed the same thing and told them to point out their mistakes when they spoke Mm. and don't allow them to speak unless they say it correctly and all this stuff. And it had a super negative um, effect on these kids. I mean, these poor kids, it's freaking awful. Uh, Here's a little, this is from... Miss Mary Tudor, the graduate student that ran the experiment, she said, all of the subjects showed similar type of speech behavior during the experimental period. A decrease in verbal output of all six subjects. These are the ones that were told, you're gonna stutter. Mm -hmm. That is that they were reluctant to speak and spoke only when they were urged to. Their rate of speaking was decreased. They spoke more slowly and with greater exactness. They had a tendency to weigh each word before they said it. Their length of response was shorter. Two younger subjects responded with one word whenever possible. They were more self-conscious. They appeared shy and embarrassed in many situations. They accepted the fact that there was something definitely wrong with their speech. Every subject reacted to speech interruptions in the same manner. Some hung, or in some manner, some hung their heads. Others gasped and covered their mouths with their hands. Others laughed with embarrassment. In every case, the the child's behavior changed noticeably and then she concluded in this that the she she her findings supported or their findings supported the hypothesis that evaluative labeling can influence behavior august 17th um oh then she went back after these kids were all messed up and had messed up speech she went back to the orphanage to try and reverse the effects now using like positive language Mm -hmm. And after a little while, she reported, quote, she was unable to provide enough positive therapy to reverse the effects. 
freaking horrible, right? 17 August 2007, the state of Iowa awarded $1.2 million to the children for lifelong psychological and emotional scars. Just from the experiment. Just from this freaking experiment. Uh, my point in reading this or talking about it is be careful what you say to people, especially kids. Yeah. Obviously, especially kids, but it's everybody. Yeah. You know what's interesting is I'm around people when they have to speak a lot yeah. in front of crowds or they're going to present something. Look, while I was in the military, you know, I'd have a young officer that had to present something for the first time. or And my instinct was always to not be hypercritical because I figured that would only hurt them, right? Yeah. Saying, hey, you better not screw this up or, dude, you need to speak clear. I wouldn't say that kind of thing. Yeah. I'd say, yeah, hey, man, just just imagine that you're just briefing, you know, Fred there in the front row. Yeah. No big deal. Just, just be natural. You're a good speaker. I would tell him that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That was always my instinct. Now, if I had some time to work with someone, I might sit them down and, and say, hey, listen, here's how you talk. Let's record it. Let's look at it. Mm-hmm. But if it was sort of, hey, someone's getting ready to present in 20 minutes or uh, t- you know, tomorrow, I wouldn't get them all amped up and <laughs> yeah. say, you got you, you to quit saying uh all the yeah. time. I wouldn't say that to them because <laughs> it's going to get worse. They're going to lock up, brain lock. Yeah. The instinct that I had was tell them, hey, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. You know, you, you know this stuff well. Oh, yeah, that was a good brief. It makes a lot of sense. Tell them that kind of thing. Let their confidence raise a little bit. And apparently that instinct was good. Because the worst thing you can do is tell them, that, hey, you're going to lock up during this speech. <laughs> yeah. Just try uh, your best not to lock up. Hey. Like just whatever you do. Yeah, that's going to be. You you're, don't even look professional up there. That kind of thing is just brain lock. <laughs> it's weird, too. Dang. How much of this is specific to speech because speech is a really specific kind of thing right yeah you can kind of hear it it's an immediate feedback loop when you're doing it now you could say to someone hey don't choke during the game yeah you know don't choke when you're taking the shot the penalty kick i bet that doesn't help either Hmm. you know what a penalty kick is in soccer yeah it's like a free throw in basketball it's like a free throw in basketball except for that in basketball Chances are, look, can that be the outcome of the game? Yes. In soccer, oh, yeah. it's kind of <laughs> the true. outcome of the game. Yeah, yeah. If you miss, you just really, really, really hurt the team. Yeah. So the coach said, you better not miss this. Yeah. So I guess it's kind of the same there. Yeah, yeah do your best. Yeah, you make these all the time. No factor. Yeah. Put it in there. So additional pressure, yeah. probably not good for a coach, for a parent, for an employee, for a boss, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I've always, I mean, uh, obviously this explains a lot. Some of it, it kind of seems obvious, just like you're saying, like it was your instinct, especially with like a public speaking situation where that's one of those ones where like the more pressure you put on you, the like so obvious that it's going to be bad. It's worse, you know, because it seems like anyway, the good public speakers, they seem real relaxed and loose and mm-hmm. like they don't, they're not apprehensive. They're mm-hmm. not like caring about every little thing. That's what it like overtly seems like when you get a... A good public speaker so it seems a little bit obvious that it's like dang if someone's even a little bit nervous don't make them more like don't put them into a situation where he has to think about more stuff or be you know more nervous about other potential things you know it seems obvious but that's crazy how much how deep it goes and then it kind of starts to let kind of puts you on what do you call puts you on report as you would say oh, yeah. about like to yourself about if you have kids you know like yeah. dang what what are you saying to your kids yep. that you don't even realize you know yep. because a lot of this stuff you know like every once in a while like you'll find yourself Quit stuttering yeah like you'll oh, get frustrated it's like your move. own thing yeah. but meanwhile the kid is like receiving everything and it's going to have like some result whether you know it or not kind of a thing and it all counts it all counts mm-hmm. whether you realize it or not you know it's one of those things fuck i remember my dad would say this, and I think I even told you this before. Where, so I have a twin brother, right? Mm. Jay Charles. Yeah, he was born a little bit bigger than me, just a little bit, not to any significant degree, mm-hmm. but just a but little bigger. <laughs> bigger, nonetheless. <laughs> yes. So he, so he's always been like a half inch taller than oh, me. Man. He's always been um, just this much heavier. He was either like he was always five pounds heavier, heavier than me growing up. Right. He's a young adolescent, mm-hmm. young man of today. Until you found that easy girl bar. <laughs> well, bro, you're you're not wrong here. So, and well, but uh, to my dad, as far as what my dad would say, he would use that 
he didn't mean it. My dad is like the most warm-hearted guy ever. If mm-hmm. you talk to him, BC, yeah, BC, mm-hmm. and but so he didn't mean it. You know, he didn't know what he was doing, but he would do this as more like a tactic to make me f- help with chores or right. finish my dinner or yeah. whatever. He'd be like, "Oh yeah, look at Jade." <laughs> he'd be like, "Jade's always volunteering, you know, and you're not." Damn. And then he'd be like, "Look at Jade, uh, uh, eating all his dinner. That's why he's bigger than you." Oh <laughs> man. Say that no wonder you found that yeah. easy curl bar Bro. and started just getting after it. But you have no idea how right you are. So he, he, so he would say that stuff all the time, and it wasn't. It, I remember it didn't bother me that much, but I remember thinking like, "Wow, that's like freaking Jade." Like, yeah, he's bigger than me, so it would kind of work, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Meanwhile, I'd still be smaller than him. He'd always be five pounds heavier. So when I got to be maybe 10, 11, 12 years old. I would secretly like do push-ups. Yeah. And me and Jada were the kind where like if you start doing push-ups, you're like, and you tease them, you know? Like, oh, "Oh, you're trying to do push-ups or you're trying to be strong. And you know, it's like that. Like that's Mm. a relationship we had. Everything. It was all for jokes, but you'd kind of feel it. So I'd secretly do Mm push-ups. And I'd secretly do like calf raises. (laughs) And my dad and my dad (laughs) my dad had um (laughs) these these dumbbells. Just you know how you you have random dumbbells in your house? He had a twenty and a (laughs) ten. Bro, bro, I would I do like curls and stuff. Ca- <laughs> I don't know. Just buzzing out of that. It's dark. It's true. It's true. Uh, oh, and so, I, bro, I would do that. But and then when we hit like 12, 13, 14 years old, mm-hmm. like my chest was like I was still smaller than him, yeah. but my chest had more like development in it. And I was like, yeah, yeah. He was still bigger though. But and then when we started actually lifting weights. Because the you know the football coaches they're like hey you guys gotta lift weights so we'd go lift weights to see where we're at starting right I could bench more than him Dang. I was like ooh so I got that payoff all because of that experience from my dad and you know all this stuff and I just got super aggressive like compared to him I'm way more like aggressive like I'll lift weights more I start jujitsu like that kind of stuff and he's just like not he's mm-hmm. more into like you know computers and all the stuff still athletic dude yeah. for sure but um, he wasn't a jujitsu for a little while yeah but that I mean let's face it he like you right you ever rolled with him yeah he's not like he did it for the fun of it yeah straight up and it was fine and he did it for the social part of it or whatever to me some of the very important benefits of it by the way but he wasn't into the competitive element of mm. it you know like even like and i won't express this outwardly that much but inside even when me and you go or whatever and then every once in a while like i'll like try to kill you mm. he doesn't have that like he won't really he has it but way less you know huh. like it's comparatively speaking way less and it's really obvious too what's weird too is you, if you start thinking about like there's got to be a line that your dad could have crossed Let's say BC wasn't, you know, kind of cool and chill, yeah. and and it was kind of like, um, why couldn't you be more like your brother? Like, right? Yeah. Where yeah. then you become real resentful, and yeah. you get a Cain and Abel scenario unfolding, yeah. yeah. Where you're just jealous and resentful, and you end up. Yeah. So there's a there's a good balance because it's beneficial, kind of yeah. what BC did because yeah. he did it in a lighthearted way, possibly. Yeah. But it's also good to remember. You know, I always, you know, people ask all, what's important for kids in jujitsu? It's like, make it fun. That's the most important thing. Make it fun. If it's fun and you read that book, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, Mm. that's what it is. The kids that played hockey that were at the high end of the age bracket. So they're in there. They're they're like, they're like 10 years and 364 days old at the beginning of the season. Someone else is. You know, just ten years and one day old. He got right. three hundred and sixty-four years of physical development at age twelve. That's a big difference. Huge, so that yeah. kid goes out there and just dominates on the field, oh, yeah. and then he likes it. Mm. So then he practices more, and the more he practices, the better he gets. And now he he gets even better. So now he gets the ball even more, and it scores more goals. And people raise him up on their shoulders, and it's even more so. It's uh, like yeah. a vi- like a positive feedback. circle of feedback loop. Yeah. yeah. The other end of that is. Oh, the little scrawny kid gets thrown in with the bigger kids, get knocked down, gets, you know, doesn't get the ball, doesn't get played, doesn't get playing time. He's not going to practice. Well, yeah. he might get motivated. Sure, Michael Jordan did, right? Michael Jordan didn't make the team. Then he just practiced and trained until he made it. But that's, uh, that could be an outcome. The other outcome could be, oh, I'm never going to be any good. Right. Yeah, it seems like, and especially according to this experiment, where it was kind of consistent, like ongoing, you know? So it kind of basically you form. 
not to use the jargon, right? But the, the you form these beliefs mm. in the kid's head, you yeah. know, and then they fulfill it, right? So the God, um, so scary, man. I, I, I know this. Let's just say this family, right? And what? And the daughter has, um, I think, Aspergers mm. or something. And what they say is every time the daughter like acts up or something, they'll be like. Oh, you have Asperger's. Like you have, like they confirm that you have this, you know, and this is why you're acting up. And after a while, she would act up, and before anyone even gets like scolds her or anything or says anything, she'll be like, "Oh, I have Asperger's. That's why I'm doing this." Mm-hmm. Like she would, it's almost like she would act up and then like basically justify it. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing: I, I don't know if she's legitimately hey i have this behavioral thing so this is why and i just know or she's like kind of fulfilling her like behaviorally fulfilling what she what is being told to her and it's making it worse you know yeah yeah i'm not sure how that uh how that works out i'm not sure what the details are of that but if you're just talking about the behavior of kids and you tell a kid you know you're a little rascal you know you always cause problems why are you such a troublemaker yeah. You label a kid a troublemaker. Guess what you're gonna get? A troublemaker. Yeah, it's crazy. So. And it kind of makes you think, though. Like, oh, you could unleash some power, though. In for kids, sure, for know? sure. Especially if they have it, one or two things going for yeah. them. Yeah, never oh. mind. Could let's go ahead and do that. Yeah. Let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, there's uh, you know when you when they say when you compliment kids, right? You don't say, you compliment them on their work effort. Yeah, you don't say. You're so smart. That's why you got an A. Right. You say, hey, you did a great job studying. So, because if you keep telling them they're smart, they're like, I'm smart. I don't right. need to study. <laughs> Instead, you say, hey, you worked harder. You did a really great job in that game. Your practice paid off. Uh, Not yeah, you're yeah. just genetically gifted, which could be a little bit of the case. I mean, <laughs> right? right? Yeah. You get some of these little savages out on the jujitsu mat wrestling, they're just murdering people because they're just naturally strong and athletic. But if you tell them you're, you're a natural, yeah. guess what? You're reinforcing something that they can't put any more effort into. Yeah. If you say, hey, you worked hard, work, hard work pays off. Yeah, keep yeah. working hard, you'll keep getting victories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't like focus more on being a natural. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you can yeah. focus on. I'm gonna be more natural, it doesn't yeah. work. Uh, but the, the other thing is, this is transferable. It's not just kids, right? This happens with adults too. This happens yeah. with your employees. This happens with your friends. If you If you constantly tell them, Hey, that sounded great. Like they'll do it more. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you I think you got a knack for this, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Like you can improve people by being cool to them. Yeah. What a novel idea. It's true. Instead of just constantly belittling them. Who would do that? Oh, yeah, bro. I wonder, <laughs> you know. It's one big mystery. <laughs> Check. All right, let's get to some Q&A. Uh, yeah. By the way, uh Without we didn't even discuss like the morality of the experiment, which I don't even yeah. think we really need to discuss. Clearly, yeah. did evil. It, did you say when nineteen thirty nine? Oh yeah, okay, thirty nine. Back in the day, yeah, where they were kind of winging it in yeah. uh, in a moral sense. Yeah. Just well, in a little, poor little kids in an orphanage, bro. Yeah, just a disaster. This evil. <sighs> First question. I probably get asked this question a lot. And I know you've addressed this similar topic on a previous podcast. I've started to hear some people talk about how SEALs and other special forces, op- special forces operators may not hold themselves in a fight. My question is, how much emphasis is placed on hand-to-hand combat, combat either in SEAL SQB training? I think they meant to put CQB training, which is S- close quarters battle. Okay. Close quarters. Okay. Uh, training and other special forces training programs. How, profi- how proficient are SEALs and other special forces operators in hand-to-hand combat? I always thought special forces operators were to be confronted anywhere in the... If they were to be confronted anywhere in the world, they would either kill or subdue the threat in the most quickest and aggressive manner without the operator using a weapon. Thank you for all that you do. I go yeah. team and echelon front, too. Do we get this a question? Yeah. I, I'm surprised you're... Ju- what, what, what do you say? I'm starting to hear some people... That's been like the talk the since day one. Mm. Right, especially once MMA came out. Yeah. Uh, but so, what is the answer to this? Um, different special operations people have various levels of capability in hand-to-hand combat. There is these days pretty sound fundamentals taught in all the different special operations groups, and even in as at large. Right, the Army has the Army Combative System. 
The Marine Corps has the Marine Corps Martial Arts Program, MCMAP. The the SEALs have a combatives program. So there is some fundamental skills that are taught way better now than they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, so everybody's going to know how to fight in a fundamental way. Mm-hmm. Now, there's black belts and there's blue belts, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's different levels. There's people that were golden gloves boxers and there's people that you know, did some striking training mm-hmm. and you'll get everything in between. You'll get some dudes that are golden gloves boxers or they were, you know, high school state wrestlers, state champions, mm-hmm. and then that's what you're dealing with. Yeah. But you might have some dude that just, you know, didn't do that stuff growing up and got into the teams or whatever and started training. And so there will be some level. Now here's the here's the here's the thing that you gotta watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> If you get into a hand-to-hand combat situation, you're gonna be dealing with something that you're not used to. Uh, This is, I'm saying, if a normal person gets into a fight with a special operations human, first of all, the the special operations guy probably not gonna fight because doesn't wanna get in trouble, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Doesn't have anything to prove. If for whatever reason they get cornered into a situation where they're gonna fight, they're gonna be hyper-aggressive they're going to be strong. They're going to have a high level of endurance. They're going to cheat and they're going to do everything that they can to win. So all, and this is borderline like, um, well, hey, you know, I, you know, poke your eyes out or whatever. And that's how I'm going to win. And I've, I've had people try and poke my eyes out and stick their fingers in my eyes in fights and it doesn't work. Not against somebody that's well-trained. So I'm not saying that this, Green Beret or this SEAL or this Ranger has some, you know, super magic move. You've seen that you've seen that pie chart that says how men think they're going to win a fight. And there's a little tiny sliver of two percent that says, I train mixed martial arts on a regular basis and that's how I'm, I know I'm gonna win a fight. Mm-hmm. And the other ninety-eight percent says says something like, Bro, I just see, just red, see red and that's how people can't deal or something yeah, like yeah. that. Right? And that, so I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if you get into a fight with someone that's in special operations and they stick a fork into your neck off the dinner table next door, don't be surprised. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's that's the impression I got early on. Mm -hmm. And and it was really clear where, sure, yeah, if someone isn't trained in the actual, like, art part of the fighting, like, you get someone who, who, (laughs) like, they're dedicated to winning kind of a thing and being aggressive being strong all these things put together it's like it's right, you just don't want to fight that guy yeah. hey, just in general he's biting your nose off by the way he's yeah. biting your cheek <laughs> yeah. right uh he's doing some now remember igor igor is a, yeah. a guy that got into a fight he's a seal he got into a fight with a dude the dude bit his ear kind of off. Yeah, a chunk of it. A big like chunk a Mike of it. Tyson. No, way bigger yeah. than a Mike Tyson. Yeah. Looked like a pizza. Like if you yeah, take yeah. a bite out of a pizza, look like that. Yeah, straight up. I mean, if you would have bit that for a food, it would have been a. <laughs> it would have been a solid bite that you would have had to chew up for a few seconds and wash down with some water. So that so that's some yes. serious business. Yeah. And Igor had him in side control and just commenced to just crush the dude. Yeah. All it did was make him matter. So if you're thinking you got this superpower move, all just gouge or I'll just bite their cheek off. Cool. That doesn't end a fight, by the way. Yeah. That does not end a fight. Yeah. So what? Here's this. This is the question, right? This boils down to, who is the more skilled fighter? That's all it boils down to. There may be a little. You could give a little bit of a little bit of extra bonus points. Let's say. Let's say you know, Fred has a fight skill, jiu-jitsu, boxing, Muay Thai, wrestling of, out of 100, he's got a, a, a 60. And the SEAL has a 60 on fight skill. Mm. The SEAL's gonna get about a 74 because he's gonna have some endurance, yep. some strength, some aggression. He's not gonna panic. Yep. And he might, he might pick up a, a, a freaking popsicle stick mm. that he f- grabs from a garbage can and stick it into the dude's eye. Yep. And just believe hundred percent that that's part of the game. And we're that's playing chill. I right thought now. we, hey, you wanted to go. Yeah. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to fight. Now this is what we're doing. Cool. Yeah. Popsicle stick. I. When you say endurance too, with um, 
that also, and this is the impression that I get, and in my experience, just the way um, these guys, I remember like you and uh, Sarge would bring in like other Navy SEALs or whatever, just all built guys. Mm-hmm. Like, man, this is one guy I remember I rolled with. He, he said he rolled like three times mm-hmm. and I rolled with him and I was like, bro, this is a hard guy to roll. He's just hard to yeah. roll with. And just because he was all that, but the thing is, he's in he his endurance, not just physical conditioning, like like uh, cardiovascular endurance, but just like the endurance for like adversity. Yeah, you know, like uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm freaking trying to get this choke. I'm crossfit. He's yeah. kind of big. He, he was like taller care. than me. Oh man, just handling like it, you know, like this is just part of the game. Yeah. you know, kind of thing. I'm like, bro, a usual normal person is gonna feel this and be like, oh shoot, I'm not ready for that beef. You yeah. know, bro, these guys are just ready for that beef. Down yeah. for it. You yeah. know, dude, if you're in a seal platoon, you're <laughs> in a combat scenario yeah 18 hours a day yeah 18 hours a day <laughs> it could go down yeah like okay so you know how you some guys like as Nate Diaz once said he could get it too <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. you're basically in a platoon yeah. you're like oh he could get it too yeah. like if that's what we're doing yeah and, and so consider you get in a fight with somebody who talks a lot but it's kind of down for fight he gets whacked like he gets punched in the face hard doesn't knock him out but a hard one they're at the very least going to think twice they're going to be like oh oh there's mm-hmm. more of that coming yeah. like whew, i don't know at least there'd be a question mark in there somewhere in his brain generally speaking in my experience anyway these like these navy seal dudes no question mark they're like oh cool that's literally what i signed up for and let's roll however many of those you got i i, I can take yeah, that kind of stuff they're down so you're like man you you just don't want to fight that guy if you have the choice yeah now back to the scenario with fred if fred's skill is an 80 and the seal's skill is a 60 and then you give him the bonus points for aggression and strength and endurance he still comes up six points short and he's going to get tapped out. He's going to get beat. Yeah. So you get a little bonus. You get some bonus points for endurance, aggression, strength, motivation, yeah. uh, uh, tenacity. Yeah. Those are bonus points, but tenacity doesn't get you out of a rear naked choke. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Rear naked choke puts you to sleep. Yeah. So you do get a little extra, but you don't get to overcome pure skill. Yeah. And yeah, and kind of like if you treat it like a video game, and I'm taking the arbitrary special mm-hmm. force guy, I'm not saying any individual guy. Um, let's say he was untrained, right? And then let's say, let's say you actually kind of lack aggression and yeah. maybe some strength and, you know, and thinking outside of the box and all this stuff. But you know that this guy has that stuff. You can kind of formulate right. a little strategy right. given your skill if you have a yeah. high level skill. And you yeah. can. Hey, I'm going to wear this guy down. I'm going to keep him at bay for a while. Yeah. You know he's not going to give up. He's so it's not crazy. Yeah. I'm not going to fight strength with strength. Yeah. Let him exactly. wear himself out. Yeah. Yeah. So you get, again, depending on your fight uh, intellect. Yes, exactly right. But man, that, that that's a tough beef, though, for yeah, sure. Don't, just, just don't. Better not to do it, man. Better yeah. not to do it. You know, t- 10 years ago, I would have been like, yeah, well, you, there's not, maybe 15 years ago, been, hey, there's not a lot of great training in special operations for combatives. Mm-hmm. Now it's different. Yeah. Same thing with the civilian world, right? Everybody knows the guard, the mount. You see random street fights now, and it looks like a, a UFC match from 1995. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. A crappy guillotine, <laughs> yeah. sh- shitty arm lock attempt. Yeah. Uh, but ground and pound. Oh, yeah. That's what you see. That's what fights are now. So I ran into this guy. I'm trying to remember his name. He was he was, he was was in Buds. I was dropping off my, my son mm-hmm. years ago. Um, a few years ago. Uh, he was a tall dude. He was like 6'2", 6'3", mm-hmm. maybe 220. Mm-hmm. A guy that I looked at. I told you about it, too. He, um I think I think his name's like Brock or Broderick or something. One mm. of these burly names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he just totally looked the part. He was like, yeah, I mean, you know, he had I think he had a sticker or some Navy Seal or something, and he was in buds or whatever, um, in the middle of buds. And he, he and didn't have a seal sticker. No, not it was like a frog, maybe. Like it was something that because I seen him, I seen his car, and I was like, oh, maybe that guy knows Jocko or whatever. Mm. I knew it had something to do with the teams. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So he, so I just say hi to him or whatever. But I remember the point is I look at this guy. And I'm like, this guy could be untrained. And if he has that mentality of mm. just like, I, I don't quit. I don't care about pain. I just, I'm just, you know, here to win kind of thing. This guy would be a massive problem. Mm-hmm. Even like for, and I'm not small like this, mm-hmm. but with that kind of tenacity and stuff, I remember thinking that. I was yeah. like, damn. Now, you know, you're not going to lose to him, but you know, it's not going to be easy. Yeah. Because let's face it, you're, you're. Let's say you're a 70 against that guy, right? That guy's probably, if he's on train, he's like, a, yeah, he, he's like a 20. Yeah. 
So maybe with his special operations background, he gets up. And if he's only in buds, that's a little confusing. Like he wouldn't yeah. be having stickers on his car. Yeah, it could. It, you know what? To be honest, I forget why I thought that, mm-hmm. but it had something to do with with mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Either way, um, the point the point is, yeah, you're de- you you got to sign up for a beef yeah. for sure, even if you're fully trained and they're not. Yeah, you might. You also got to be ready to hurt that individual. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be ready to break an arm because yeah. they're not tapping to a bro. They're not tapping. Yeah, you got to break it like and then it. you can switch to a choke so you can put them to sleep. Yeah. Next question. I just started training jujitsu at the start of the year thanks to Jocko Podcast. I joined because of all the benefits you've talked about and I don't have much interest in competing. I want to learn the best moves for defending myself and for defeating an adversary should the need arise. The talk of a point system and little things to do to score points and also moves that aren't allowed in competition continue to make me wonder if I'd benefit in a real world scenario from doing competitions. So my question is, is there much to be gained by competing or is rolling with as many people as possible when there are no when there is no point system the better option? Well, luckily, you don't have to select from those two and only do one. You do both. You compete sometimes and you roll with other people as much as you can all the time with no point system looking for submissions. And, and and the point system also is reflective. It's good. Yeah. Like you get the takedown, two points. You get the takedown in a real fight, cool. Yeah. You you did good. Yeah, um true. you pass someone's guard in a if you're in a self defense situation and you let someone pass your guard, that's a problem. Yeah. And you just lost points. You let someone mount you in the street, that's a problem. And in a real fight you just lost you just got yourself in a really bad situation. You give up your back, that's four points in a jiu-jitsu tournament. In real life, you're getting beat, <laughs> like you're losing a fight now. So the points are reflective of, now they're not 100%, right? And there's certain things that aren't, that don't correlate exactly with competition versus self-defense scenarios. For instance, as I say all the time, if you like go to punch me, I'm just gonna run away from you because mm-hmm. that's my best self-defense. I don't wanna get in a fight with you. What if you got a knife in your pocket and you stab me in the gut, right? <laughs> just, no, no, yeah. Or what if I swing back and knock you out, you fall down, hit your head in a curb, you die, I'm going to jail for manslaughter for seven years, I lose all my money, my family's, you know, leaves me. It's like, <laughs> what benefit, yeah. right? Yeah. What benefit? So we're not looking to get into these self-defense situations but if someone grabs me, I gotta be able to defend myself. So the answer is um, be able to do both. Roll with people all the time, bunch of different people, and compete sometimes. Because here's another good thing about competition: your adrenaline's gonna go haywire. Yeah. It's gonna go psycho. When a dude grabs a hold of you in a competition, it's a different ball game. They're yeah. going psycho. Yeah. They are going psycho. So your your adrenaline's gonna go. Their adrenaline's gonna go. And if you compete to a point, that's one thing that's cool about like uh, high school wrestling. <laughs> You've got a dual meet during the, this is the way it works in California, dual meet during the week and then tournament on the weekend. Dual meet is a bunch of people watching you on the mat by yourself against one other dude. Mm. And then tournament on the weekend, you got five matches a day for two days. Mm. And it's just competition, 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 competition. It's awesome. Mm. And eventually you're like, what, oh, what I'm competing, cool, whatever. You get uh, over the butterflies. Yeah, fully. So wrestle if you can in high school. If you can go back in time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, do both. Oh, one one other little thing I wanted to say is if you're talking about self-defense, sometimes put on the gloves. Mm -hmm. And hey, put on big boxing gloves and have somebody attack you so that you can learn to close the distance safely, get inside those punches, get the takedown, and secure that person on the ground. On the ground, maybe put on, either put on the big gloves, you can do this, you have to do a little bit more scenario-based training, but you know, put someone in your guard, Yeah. and say, all right, punch me as much as you want, same thing. You learn how to get control of them, you learn how to tie them up, then you learn how to work submissions without exposing yourself to getting punched. Because it can, de- can definitely, you can definitely get yourself in comfortable situations where you're like, oh, this is no big deal, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like I'll be rolling with a MMA guy sometimes, yeah. and but we're, but we're just rolling. And maybe I do good against them, 
or like they don't pass my guard or whatever. And they'll wait on yeah, yeah, man, your guard's hard to pass. And I'm like, yeah, if we were in a fight, you would have punched me 98 times in the face. Yeah. So I don't, you, they won. Even though they couldn't pass my guard, right. I know that they won, especially if we were in an MMA fight. Mm-hmm. And I'll do like, okay, next round, hey man, slap me. Because there's also a skill to hitting from the guard. Yeah. Because you can overexpose yourself by throwing strikes that set you up for things. Because to throw strikes, you have to make a little bit of space. If you make too much space, now that's where the escape comes in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, that's a good point with the and the the so the okay training with gloves like the, the a big part of that is okay so actually go back to the the the, the um. The moves that aren't allowed, and then the competing, right? So when you learn jujitsu, it's not like you learn this like string of moves that you're gonna go out and in the tournament or in the street, you're just gonna do the whole string of moves. Mm-hmm. So it, at first, especially though, like the fundamentals of jujitsu is knowing where to be and where not to be, knowing where there's submissions available and unavailable, and or kind of around you go. The better you get at it, the more you can make him do this. So now you, the, now that creates a submission available for this amount of time and like all this stuff. So you kind of learn that. It's less about just knowing how to do step-by-step in arm lock. Mm. So when you go out in the street, it's not like you're like, okay, I'm going to do my step-by-step thing on this guy. Mm-hmm. It's not that. It's, it's basically a vet, like a, a bucket of knowledge that you're right. bringing to a scenario. So you're going to know, like you're going to know, okay, where, do I, where should I be and where should I not be with this guy? When is the submission going to be available? When is control going to be available? Right. When it's, you know, um, and whether this guy's trained or not, I know where the submission or control is going to be available, mm-hmm. so I'm going to avoid that on, from a defensive level. So it's it's kind of like that. So you can be creative on how you do yeah. it, you know. So if it's like, yeah, I know a guard position. Like I'm not going to do open, you know, butterfly guard, no risk control in a street fight because, like, just mm-hmm. like you said, you can get punched from there, and we know that. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose not to because I have, like I said, this bucket of knowledge. So yeah, you can bring super basic jujitsu to a street fight and be very effective. And I think most people yeah, know that yeah, for sure. So, but you're not throwing the barambolo in the street. Exactly, and everybody right. knows that. Yeah. So, but outside of jujitsu, it almost seems like, and this is like, this is just based on what some people say. They'll be like, oh yeah, like you can't pull guard on the street and all that or whatever. And like, yeah, well, of yeah, course not. like yeah. you <laughs> would choose not to pull guard in the street, just like I would choose not to do certain moves against a certain kind of guy, you mm-hmm. know, like, or a certain guy, if you know he has a certain skill set, like you, you develop like a, a strategy with all the knowledge that you have and pulling guard on the street or whatever might not be the strategy that you're going to do when you're training jujitsu. <laughs> it better not be the strategy that you do. Why would you? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I can't think of any situation, but the gloves on too, uh, um, it, it's less about like, oh, now I'm used to, to fighting with gloves, even though that's that's a major benefit or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you train with gloves and someone is is punching you, um, and you're punching them or whatever, you learn really quickly where punches can come from yep. and where they kind of they're less effective. So yep. it's less about like, oh yeah, um, oh he can punch from here and not here. It, it's actually a spectrum mm-hmm. where. If you're, yeah, if he's mounted on you, you know punches can come down. So mm-hmm. don't get mounted. Yep. Even if the guy's untrained, that's a good spot for him to be. And to you know what's you. interesting? Uh, gloves, like MMA gloves, are in between gi and no gi. So, you know, gi, you got all these grips. Yeah. No gi, you don't have any grips. Gloves oh, yeah. are actually in between that. They're leaning towards no gi, but they are definitely not no gi because you can grab so much more control when somebody has a pair of gloves on that's why i said it's not just that it's slap fighting as well yeah where you're where you just slap people yeah i like the mma gloves training for sure this is just a preference but another thing that it exposes and it becomes really clear and this is this is something i think a lot of people overlook it exposes situations where you can take punches, but they're ineffective punches. Totally. So, and and when you're not trained, you don't think of that. Mm-hmm. Like they, they'll show a move, and they'll be like, "Hey, can't you punch him from there?" Yeah, like yeah, ahead. but it doesn't hurt. Yeah, like, or it'll hurt. And like I said, a spectrum, or it'll hurt, but it's ineffective as yeah, far as like doesn't change the fight get, exactly. You know, right. That's that's one thing that's you know how they have rules in jujitsu tournaments, and really just kind of rules of grappling. You don't do what they call small joint manipulation. Yeah. Like I don't grab your finger and break it. Right. You might think, well, okay, well, what if I really did that in a fight? It doesn't change the outcome of the fight. 
Yeah. So if I'm gonna if I have your back and I'm gonna choke you with a rear naked choke and you break my fingers I'm like whatever and I'm putting you to sleep I'm still doing that or I'm choking. freaking grabbing your I have your arm in a Kimura and you decide you're gonna like bite me yeah. cool I'm gonna destroy your shoulder. It's not gonna change the outcome of the fight yeah. So there's some of the rules that although they would cause acute injuries yeah. okay. acute injuries that would be That would be a uh, uh, bothersome yeah. They're not going to change the outcome of the fight. Yeah. And if I have your back or I'm mounted on you or whatever, and you start bending one of my fingers back, cool. I'm dropping an elbow on your face. Yeah. And that's going to change the outcome of the fight. You breaking my fingers, not exactly right. And that's what like training with gloves trains you with. You know, mm-hmm. like give, that's the skill it gives you. And that's how you know. Like I said, like if you're, you know, like. Let's say someone headlocks you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're setting up the defense for the headlock or whatever. And then, like, they're punching you in the head. Even as a little kid, of course, you're going to do that to your friend or yeah. your, the guy you're fighting. You're going to punch him in the head. But that has never ended the fight. No. It's annoying. might even hurt if yeah. they catch you in the ear or the nose or I don't know, wherever. But that that's, like, one of the examples. And there's, they're everywhere. Like I the, got punched in the head 14 times in my first fight in a headlock position. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was more like it was like lots of little punches. Yeah, rabbit punch. Yeah, give that guy a beer. Anyone punch him fourteen <laughs> times in the head? He got my vote. The um, there there's also like body shape. You know how like okay, so I'll see little demonstrations. You know, and and not to call out any particular art, but I'll see a demonstration where like okay here, and then you elbow him here, and mm-hmm. it'll be like in the side or in the leg or something like that. And then the guy helping the demonstration, he'll act like oh my gosh, I got hit in the thigh. Now my thigh is injured. For, you know, in the fight, mm-hmm. it's like, bro, it's very unlikely that that's even going to change any momentum of anything, you know. It ain't. So you get to learn all that kind of stuff too. Check. Next question. Next question. I was curious on why your input is about leaders that lie to their frontline guys. I work for a body shop, and recently I've I caught my boss in multiple different lies, from minor insignificant ones to pretty major ones. He's recently got the shop in some trouble by a somewhat scam he tried to do. Now our work has has dried up. I'm wondering if I hang on or jump ship to another shop. I'm 32 years old, and I've been here since high school. I really don't want to leave this place, but I feel like I may be going down with this ship. So I I would definitely set up some kind of an exit strategy right now. Uh, when you have dishonest people that are running a business and they're treating their customers bad and they're lying to people and they're just they're on a downward spiral and it might not catch up with them tomorrow it might not catch up with them in a week or two weeks or a year but it'll catch up with them so I would develop some kind of an exit strategy now um, you know that means putting together your red resume building some relationships maybe talking to some other folks that are out there uh, I would do all those things I would start thinking about you know what, what? What's your long-term plan as well? Do you want to eventually, you know, start your own shop? Do you want to buy the shop maybe from the guy that's caused all these problems? You know, if he's running the business into the ground, sometimes when people run businesses into the ground because they have bad leadership, it's a good opportunity to come in and take a failing business that ha- doesn't have customers anymore, buy the equipment, buy the building, or rent the building, or whatever, take over the lease. And you start doing good business, you can turn it around. So that's another little option just to put in your head. You might be feeling some loyalty issues. I think that's a, we have a tendency after you've been working somewhere for 14 years. You know, if you graduated high school at 18, now you're 32, that's 14 years of work. You put in this place, you have relationships, you have some level of loyalty. I get it, but loyalty also goes both ways. And when my boss is lying to me and, and, giving our business or bad reputation, that's not being loyal to, to the team. So you're not gonna get any loyalty back from me, or at least let me rephrase that, that loyalty will run out, right? Loyalty is like soap, you can't just keep using it, it doesn't last forever, the bar soap is gonna run out. <laughs> it is like soap. Yeah. Um, we might be, you. here's the other thing that you might be facing, and I don't know, because you didn't specify in the question, which is no big deal, but you might have some hesitation because you got a little bit of the comfort zone, right? You've been here since high school. You know people. You know how to do your job. You're comfortable with it. You know how to deal with the boss. You know he lies a little bit, but you can put up with it because you kind of understand where he's coming from. And he always, he's got some positives. You know, he's generous or whatever. He takes care of this or he keeps people on, whatever it is. You're a little bit of a comfort zone. So you might be feeling some level of fear of leaving because you don't want to get out of the comfort zone. 
here's the thing. If you are a hardworking and competent person, if you're a hardworking and competent human being, there are businesses that absolutely need you. I work with companies every single day in every industry, including the automotive industry. And I promise you, if you're a hardworking, competent human being, there are companies that need you. And if you go there and you work hard and you're competent and you show good leadership, you will you will elevate inside that organization. That's a guarantee. But overall, I would say in this situation, it is time to think about the next move in life. That's what I think. Makes sense. Yeah, that's a big one. If you if you get caught in the scam, especially automotive, right? Because that's the that's the oh, one. That's the number one one, the right? Yelp reviews are coming yeah. on strong. <laughs> but you know how like it's a thing where like the auto, it's like either you know repair shop or mm. whatever, where or the oil changing place or whatever. They mm. they'll they'll bust out like things that they say you need when mm. you don't really need them, right? That's like the, and the thing is you don't know. Like what are you gonna do? Like do I'm not a mechanic. Know? Oh okay. You, most of us. Yeah yeah. We go you know we go. The reason I brought it to the mechanic. Cause I don't know how to do this stuff, <laughs> and you're gonna tell yeah. me you think I need a whatever, and <laughs> I guess I need a whatever. Your what else flux capacitor's blown. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna cost three thousand dollars. Well, I guess I need that flux capacitor. Exactly right. And then you know they do a good job of saying, "Hey, I, you know, you, it's good that we caught this now, cause you don't want to break down in the middle of freeway, blah blah blah." And you're like, "Frick." I have no choice. And they're thanking have, them. They have you by the balls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, you're thanking them, right? So we always are wondering that. Like every time, every single time, you can have a new car, bring it in for an oil change. They'll be like, well, yeah, we, we did your oil, but hey, you know what? We found this kind of thing that it's like, it's not bad now, but good thing we caught it. You know, it's like that every time uh, where it feels like it. Let's face it. It just feels like it. I don't know if it really happens or not. If but. any automotive places are listening to this podcast, you're screwed. <laughs> They're like, oh, Echo Charles. Uh, hey, uh, sorry, sir. We found a couple other problems with the transmission. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Transmission. All right. Then break down. Nonetheless, yeah, that's how we feel. Mm. You know, so when you get <laughs> caught in a scam at the body shop, if you get yeah. straight up caught, bro, you're kind of done. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, your your business kind of going down. So if it was me, put it this way, it was me. I'm not an expert. I ain't, and I don't even know if I'm going to do the right thing right here. But yeah, well, I would leave. And that's a good little thing how you said, um, which I'm going to use, by the way, where if Hopefully I don't have to, but how you said, um, if I feel loyalty to someone, but then they like, they're not loyal back. Yeah. You know, you can kind of, you can, you can legitimately justify it in your head to be like, okay, you know, this is, this is the way it's going. Um, but that's like a, what do you call like a scarlet letter in a body shop? I think. Oh, for sure. You get caught in a scam like that, you know, because they'd have those hidden camera shows. You ever seen those? Mm-hmm. They've been hidden camera yeah. shows where they call it. They, they send a <laughs> secret shopper in there with like nothing and they catch him. Oh, bro, it's brutal. So, yeah, man, you don't want to be associated with that kind of stuff. Check. Uh, anyways, I mean, good points, but I think it's time to think about what's next. Come, time to come up with a plan. And if you're, like I said, if you're a hardworking, competent human, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in the game to kind of win. I say go win. Go win. Next, last question. Last year, I got my first ham radio license. Second to the last question. I think we got two more. Okay. What's a ham radio? H-A-M. It's the radios that you use. It's like a, I forget. I don't even know what it stands for, which is weird. But you know what it is, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 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 it's. A radio license to utilize to broadcast and receive radio frequencies in your house. So the frequency spectrum, like all these different radio frequencies that are out there, they're controlled by the government. And in order to use some of those frequencies, you have to get a license. Like the radio stations, there's FM radio stations like 93.3. That's the frequency. Then there's AM radio stations. And those are a different set of frequencies. And so the government, and then there's ones that are used for the control tower in the airport, right? They're, they're talking on a different set of frequencies. There's frequencies that the cell phones operate on. So there's all these different frequencies and the government manages these frequencies. Mm. So in order to use some of those frequencies, you need to get a license mm. to do something called ham radio. <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's what a ham radio is. Huh. Usually it's in the HF frequency spe- spectrum, high frequency. Which is sounds like it'd be high, but there's VHF is above that very high frequency. Then UHF is above that, which is ultra, ultra high frequency, and then SHF is above that, which is super high frequency. It goes on and on. Damn. 
All right. There you go. Uh, anyway, so this guy got his ham radio license to increase comms while hunting here in the Colorado mountains. I'm stoked to support the underground movement and considering Jocko's early military background. I'm wondering if there's there are contingency plans for troopers to keep in contact with the movement in extreme internet down scenarios. Old school analog radio waves, pigeons or what? <laughs> this is kind of epic. So like as you might have been able to tell when I was a radio man, Sure. I studied this type of communications, especially HF communications, because I was in the transition. Satellite radios were just coming around, not just coming around, but they weren't as reliable as they are now. Mm. And so we were using these HF radio where you gotta build big antennas out in the field, you gotta build a long wire, a, 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 a dipole, or an inverted V. That was my personal favorite. You build all these antennas, you throw freaking wires, you throw ropes up into the trees and you haul antennas up into the trees and you form these, and you aim them in the right direction so you can talk back to wherever. Cool. When I went to, when I learned this stuff, I went to the, the SEAL communication school, which is a really, really good school. Mm-hmm. And I learned Morse code, you know. And my, the instructor there was really into comms, really into communications, right? And he used to say, hey, in the event of nuclear war, CW, they called CW, they called Morse code CW, continuous wave. He'd be like, CW is the only thing that's gonna punch through the hyper-ionized conditions that we're gonna be facing. So he was prepped for nuclear war, <laughs> which was pretty good to go. And you know, I'm 19 or 20, mm. and I'm on board. <laughs> if the nuclear war happens, I'm gonna be ready to rock and roll and make comms. So I get it. Um, I will be a up on the HF net should we get into extreme internet down scenarios. Uh, but I haven't come up with a comms plan yet for you know overall troopers. I, I was really close to getting my ham, to going down that road and getting my ham operator because I was into it, man. Yeah, I dig it. But I never did. Lack of discipline, I suppose. But maybe I need to get the HF comms back up Cause you can get a unit in your house, you know, and you can string up a string up a long wire, start doing comm shots. Wait, who are you com- communicating with? There's other people out there. Other people down for they the got their call signs. Hell yeah! And you you jump up on the net. Yeah. There's uh, the the there's like a constant tone put out on 2.5, 5, 10, 15, and 20 megahertz. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a ding, 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 it's and it's beacon. counting. And then it, and it tells you what time it is. Mm. So every minute it is say, it is now blah, 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 uh, universal Greenwich time. I can't even, I don't remember this anymore. But it's a good way to tell which frequencies are working well. Yeah. And certain conditions, there's like one radio, there's one station in California, or in Colorado, sometimes you can hear like Greenwich mean time, you can hear different, depending on what's happening in the ionosphere, you can hear different parts of the world. And you can assess what frequency is probably working best at a certain time. Because the ionosphere, which is the, 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 it's, it's the stuff around the earth, not the atmosphere, but the ionosphere. And you can reflect radio waves off that and bounce it. But during the day it's thicker, during yeah. night it's real thin. Huh. So during the day you use thicker, you use higher frequencies. During the night sometimes you get down those little three megahertz babies <laughs> to make comms. Uh, all right, so future planning. Maybe Jonko needs to get his ham radio license yeah. finally. Yeah. Put an HF unit in my house and just start booming out to the world. <laughs> <laughs> that way, in the event of a nuclear holocaust, we'll be making comms. Yeah. We'll be punching through on Morse code. By the way, if the internet's down that hard, we got a lot of problems on our hands. Mm. So, I think you're right. Check. What? What up? So I remember back in the day, this was high school, junior high, maybe uh-huh. before that. Even it was there was a f- f- trend, a fad that like. People would have CB radios. Yeah, it's CB radios are a frequency of radios. Okay. So there's I forget what CBs are, but I think they're just sort of VHF. Yeah. Maybe they're like in the 50s or 60 megahertz, yeah. and so yeah, that's what they are. They're just a CB radio. It was odd. So my friend, oh, let's get Dylan. He would have one. 
in his house. He's a kid. We're like sixth grade, I think. Um, and they'd have a whole language. Oh, yeah. But it was like Ten a four. slang, yeah. kawaii language. Break channel, break channel. I remember that was mm-hmm. part of it. And like, it was almost like a slang CB radio language. That they, and man, everyone was into it. In fact, you would see like lowrider trucks with like a huge antenna oh, on yeah. it. Like that CB was just radios dope. Oh, <laughs> yeah. My dad had CB radios in the vehicles, uh-huh. you know. So then what do you do? You just talk to other people? Like yeah, well, back in the day, chat. it was finding out if, if Smokey was out on the roads. Oh, uh, for real? Huh. Right? You know what I'm saying by Smokey? Who, Police, cop. yeah, yeah. So if they've got a if they've got a speed trap set up, yeah, you know, breaker one nine, breaker one nine. <laughs> this is Whistler triple niner. That was my dad's call sign. <laughs> I love it. Whistler triple niner. Wondering if there's any smokers on the north part of ninety five going north. Dang. Hence, I want to come back, random person. Whistler triple niner. This is you know whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was yeah, that's bad. So it'd be kind of like that, essentially. Yeah. Nuclear yeah. Holocaust, Nuclear boom, Holocaust. same We're deal, good. except We're it's for it. legitimate. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, that's all. So yeah, are you a doomsday prepper? A little yeah, bit, kind of. Yeah. So what's the first thing we do? Nuclear Holocaust, boom. You realize you, your family, me, my family, you, you know, people around you. Like we we handled. We're safe. Mm-hmm. We don't have radiation. Nothing like that. What What's the first thing you do? Everything's down. What do you do? We do you mean get everything's down. Like electricity. What are the waves like? The waves. <laughs> They're murky. Because I'm murky saying there could, not, there could be good waves, no crowd scenario, uh, which well, means we're probably battling out. <laughs> all right, all right, I got you. Next question. My wife and I currently have three young children, all under the age of six. We just found out that we will be expecting a fourth child, which we were not planning on having. This, this has hit both my wife and I pretty hard. We felt like we were just coming up for air when we got this news. How did you manage the stress of money, career, and helping the other kids when you were in a similar situation? I feel like this fourth baby will take a dramatic toll on our life plans and trajectory. By the way, I've been training jiu-jitsu for about a year. I feel like I will need to work a lot more and give up a lot of the things to manage everything. Thanks for all you do. So, as you mentioned, I have four kids. Um, the fourth kid, you got three kids. Fourth kid is like no factor. <laughs> Just roll them right <laughs> I'm serious, man. Like, your first, there's all these things that are going on. And um, it's, look, you're going to notice it for sure. You got a year, a hard year coming, you know, when the, the wife is up all night, you know, taking care of the little tiny baby. You're having to help out here. You got, you're going to, you got some, you got some tough times coming. Um, you have one thing that you got a really good advantage. You've got them all in a tight grouping, right? Mm-hmm. All done, wrapped up in six years. Boom, four freaking kids. That's outstanding. Are you are you is it going to be hard work? Yes, absolutely. Are you going to have to have more discipline in your daily activities? Yes, you are. Are you going to have to proactively be more organized in order to pull this off? Yes, you are. Are you going to have to train your children to be more self-sufficient? Because a six-year-old can do all kinds of things that, you do, that you're doing for them right now. All kinds of things. So you're going to help. Those kids are going to become more efficient and self-sufficient because you've got this other fourth straggler rolling in in, in, in the ninth inning here. No factor. Uh, you can have fun with it. There's a book called Cheaper by the Dozen. Have you ever heard of that book? I heard of the movie. Just just like it's funny stuff about how to raise these, you know, they had 12 kids in that family. I think one of them, I think they actually had 11. One of them died at some point. But anyways, you know, take a book, look at that book. This is what's cool is like you have a total mission now, right? You got thing, you got kids, you got four kids, you got a fire team, bro. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's challenging. The, the, the increase in workload from three to four is not large. Let me say that. Is it a little bit? Yes, it is. But the payback is way better. The, uh, the return on investment is awesome. You got a whole nother kid. Uh, my kids are all grown up now, pretty much. Pretty much all my kids are grown up now. Uh, 
you know, three of them are two of them in college, one of them graduated high school. Um, one of them's 12, but you know, when they're 12, I think I, I think I was talking to you about this. I go, like, one day, in one day, your kid like won't hold your hand anymore when you're walking down the street, right? <laughs> I know, I'm already sad about that. Yeah, so that happens in one day, like, one day it's okay, next day we're not doing it anymore. Yeah. So I would say all my kids are now in the knot where not holding hands anymore, Sorry, right? Bro. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, so as I look back, I wish I had more kids. I wish I had nine kids. Um, check this out. When you're surfing, there's, there's no better feeling. When I was, you know, I'd be out surfing, catch a really good wave. Mm-hmm. little bomb, maybe get a little covered up, right? I mean, it is glassy, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and there's no better feeling in the world than catching a really good wave until you see your kid catch a really good wave. <laughs> and then you go, oh, I would rather watch my kid. You know, I'd, I'd be out surfing with my son. I would, ra- I would get more joy to see my kid get a bomb than for me to get a bomb. <laughs> So I think that's what you got to look forward to. Look, do you need to be more disciplined? Yep. Do you need to be more organized? Are you going to have to make sacrifices? Yes, you are. The ROI, can't even calculate it, bro. You can't even calculate it. Enjoy it. That's what I got for you. Mm, this, uh, that you um, that's a good, like getting a system going, mm-hmm. like a routine, like mm-hmm. a, just a system. And that's how, that's how, bro, that's how it's going to be for a while. But bro, once you get a solid routine, bro, it's pretty, pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, so what's interesting is this book, Cheaper by, this book, Cheaper by the Dozen, was written by the kids of a guy that was an efficiency expert. Oh, damn. And he wrote a book, he wrote a bunch of books, but one of the books that he wrote is called Bricklaying Systems. And it talks about how to lay bricks. It's like a 400-page book. I've got the PDF of it because it's very interesting. (laughs) It talks about leadership as well. I've considered covering it. Maybe we'll cover it on this podcast. It's just got some little, but it talks about leadership. And guess what? The leadership lessons, the same as we find about military. And the book was written in like 1909. But it describes everything on how to be really efficient with bricklaying and how you train bricklayers and what the best way to handle things are and how you got to get them to do certain things. And so... The son, I think two of the kids actually wrote that book. Maybe it was a son and daughter, but they grew up with this guy that was an efficiency expert. And they lived that life and they wrote this book, Cheaper by the Dozen, because that's what the guy would say. What the hell are you doing with 12 kids? And he'd go, they're cheaper by the dozen. Ha, 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 and drive huh. away. So there's all kinds of cool things that you can do, all kinds of fun that you can have. Look, you can, look, you can go into any challenging situation and have a, a negative attitude and it's not gonna be fun. Or you can go into the most challenging situations and you can go into it with a good attitude and it's gonna be a blast. Hmm. I spent 20 years in the teams. We did things that absolutely sucked and I never had a bad time. Hmm. So going with that attitude and yeah, going with a good attitude, man. You're blessed. You are blessed with a fourth child. When you're, uh, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah, okay, when your daughter youngest didn't want to hold your hand anymore mm-hmm. were you like were you sad about it negative <laughs> so my daughter's eight mm-hmm. but she's like she's borderline yeah but she's ahead of her mm, you know like level. yeah like she's huge she's like big and tall and like mm-hmm. burly and stuff too she's like way taller like mm-hmm. she does she looks like she's like 11 years old um but she still holds my hand mm-hmm. but since she seems a little bit older, I'm like surprised every once in a while because yeah. I'm holding this big hand, you know. Mm-hmm. So we're on Kauai and she was like, oh, let's go on that side of the beach. There's this part of the beach where you go around mm-hmm. and it goes on this cool sandbar. It's pretty sweet. But anyway, so we're, she's like, let's go over there. I was like, cool. And then so we get up to walk on the beach and like I feel her like big hand, like hold it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of got to me a little bit, you know. And then you start thinking like, yeah, one day she's not going to want to do yeah. that. And it's like, you know, what's weird is you kind of have this thing of denial. It's like, no, no, no. She's always going to want to, even no, when she's, she's like 13. <laughs> <laughs> I know, man. Yeah, that's going to be hard in for fact, me. At some point, she's not even going to want you around. Bro. Bro. Yeah, that's, and every once in a while, once you have her little friends over or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'll come, I'll come in the room and be like, hey, guys, you know, like, 
here and she'll be like hey it's a cool dad you're not cool no even now she'll be like no we're playing you know okay dad thank you and then she's like we're playing right now i'm like dang that kind of stung a little bit but you know suck it up Man, enjoy it, bro. Yeah, um, man. Maybe get a vasectomy. I don't know. I mean, if that's kind of the thing, mm. you know, I mean, obviously that's going the other direction, but um, I'm just saying if it's like weighing on him heavily, as he says. Yeah, yeah. At this point, yeah, that might be the call. I will. Yeah, check. All right. With that, thank you for joining us. Thank you for supporting the cause. If you need supplements, jockofuel.com. If you need gear, JockoStore.com or OriginUSA.com. Got a bunch of books. You know what they are. GodEchelonFront.com, Leadership Consulting. We're on the interwebs, by the way. Echoes at Echo Charles. I'm at Jocko Willink. Thanks to you all for supporting this. Look, we might not be ready for the nuclear disaster yet, but we're ready for other things that might occur. We'll be here freedom in our domain of freedom in the underground till next time the zecco and jocko <laughs>